Well, if you have your Bible open to Ephesians, let me read a portion of Scripture there and then let me pray. I'll begin at verse 11. Put on, Paul says in 6.11, the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Let's pray and ask his blessing. Father, we plead with you and your spirit to penetrate our hearts and minds that for this one brief moment of a week, we can set aside all the things in the world and come and worship you, hear your scripture, sing those songs, sing about our hope in Christ and life and death. Father, open our eyes that believers might see and behold the truth here of the helmet. Open all eyes, if they're not in Christ, to see this wonderful truth and our wonderful confidence. Father, we're dependent upon you. We're abiding in you, and we need your gracious help from heaven that we might be more like Christ. We ask this in his name. Amen. Erwin Lutzer who used to be the pastor of Moody Memorial Church, a friend of mine. I was very thankful for his ministry, but he wrote a book, and the book was entitled is How You Can Be Sure You Will Spend Eternity with God. It's the name of the book. And he said in that book, five minutes after you die, you have either had your first glimpse of heaven with its euphoria and bliss, or your first genuine experience of unrelenting horror and regret. Either way, your future will be, Luther said, irrevocably fixed and eternally unchangeable. That would be true, wouldn't it? I mean, you're there and it's fixed and it's unchangeable. Maybe I should begin by asking you that famous question that came out of evangelism explosion or discipleship evangelism. If you were to die today, would you be confident you would go to heaven? Would you? As you sit here even this day. I mean, is it possible to have assurance of salvation? Or do you personally live with eternal insecurity? Rather than being secure, you just are insecure all the time like I was as a teenager. Spurgeon 
the eloquent preacher, said, if any man is not sure that he is in Christ, he ought not to be easy one moment until he is sure. Friend, without the fullest confidence as to your saved condition, you have no right, he said, to be at ease, and I pray that you may never be so. This is a matter too important to be left undecided. I would agree with Spurgeon. Without this type of security that's based on the scripture, eternal security, it becomes very difficult. Well, look in your Bible to Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 17. We left off last week and we didn't quite finish in verse 17 to take, it says there, the helmet of salvation. To take or to receive. It's interesting, the other pieces you're putting on and attaching, but you're taking up the shield and you're taking up the helmet of salvation. Now, as we've said for the last few weeks, the picture before us is a Roman jail cell. Paul is chained, of course, to that soldier in some way because it says in verse 20, he says, for I am an ambassador in chains. And so he's writing this from prison. This is a prison epistle. And as he's writing, he's probably attached to this soldier. And the soldier already has put on his belt its preparedness for the battle and it represented the whole truth. Then he puts on, and I probably already had on, in uh, that cell uh, a breastplate. And it's possible that that breastplate, I'm imagining, had lacerations all over it from battles that this soldier had been in. And Paul says, you're putting on the breastplate, transforms it into a spiritual truth of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Then maybe he glanced over and he saw that sturdy Caliga boot, which were his shoes. And if he was wearing those shoes, those shoes have big hobnails on the bottom of it. And in this picture, those shoes represent the peace of God, the peace that he gives us in salvation. And then he had that beloved shield, I would think somewhat close to him, which saved his life from flaming arrows and past wars. And Paul says to him, you as a believer need to take up the shield. And the shield here in this truth is our faith in Christ. Then we came to that fifth piece, which is where we are. The fifth piece of God's armor where he says, take, verse 17, the helmet of salvation. So let me just show you here. We begin at last week, the physical analogy, then the spiritual truth, and then thirdly, the spiritual application. Remember, the physical analogy was to take up the helmet, and obviously the helmet covered the head. The Roman soldier would never go into battle without a helmet. That would be like the Philadelphia Eagles coming out next week on Super Bowl day, and after the kickoff, the offensive team or the defensive team came out, and no one was wearing helmets. It would look real odd, wouldn't it? You would say, well, Scott, that would be ridiculous. And I would agree. Well, in the same way, a believer needs to take on that helmet. But he would never go, this soldier, to battle without the helmet. And the reason is 
that the enemy was carrying something called a broadsword, and it was carried by the cavalrymen, and they would swing it, if you will, at the head to crack skulls and decapitate, frankly, the enemy. And so the helmet then, made of metal, sometimes of leather with uh, pieces of bronze on it, it would deflect the blows. The helmet protected the head. I mentioned last week the neck, probably just a little bit of the soldiers in battle. So there's the physical analogy. But secondly, the spiritual truth. We said, if you looked at that, here's how you would interpret it, where it says, take the helmet of salvation. I think it's best to look at that and say, take the helmet, I'm translating for you, which is salvation. Take the helmet, which is salvation. Now, we spoke briefly last week of that three-dimensional view of salvation because you're taking the helmet, which is salvation. What is the salvation? And we notice that always in Scripture, there's a three-dimensional view of salvation. There's a past aspect of salvation when it says now that you're justified, we have peace with God and justified in Romans 5.1 is in the past tense. We know in Ephesians 2.8 that you've been saved, you know, by grace through faith. It's past tense. So we've been saved past tense. We noted from the penalty of sin. Secondly, there's a present aspect of our salvation that we're being saved in the present, presence tense, from the power of sin. That's what we call sanctification, and you know that. So there's a past act that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There's a present element in this sense under sanctification where we're experiencing freedom from the power of sin. We have that. We've been freed to not obey and let it reign over us, but not until we get to glory will that be over. And then there's a future aspect of our salvation. Or praise God, one day we'll be freed from the very presence of sin, and that's called glorification. So there is justification, there is sanctification, and there is glorification, and glorification is to be free from all the presence of sin. So here was the physical analogy. There's the spiritual truth, but I bring you thirdly here, and this is where we left off to the practical application of the helmet in the believer's life. And I noted for you that I really think when Paul says, take the helmet of salvation, certainly he has in mind probably a panoramic view of the past, present, and future. But I really believe his focus here in this text is our future salvation. He's dealing with that third category, the glorification that will be ours one day in the future. And I told you that, that I think that's best to see it as such because he provides us an amazing cross-reference of Ephesians 6.17. And it's found, if you want, look in your Bible in 1 Thessalonians 5, 8, and 9. 
Usually, you don't want to always interpret one scripture with another scripture outside of the context of the book itself, and hope is mentioned in Ephesians, but this one is so clear in 1 Thessalonians 5, where he says in verse 8, let us be sober. He speaks there of the armor. He says, having put on in 5.8, here it's called not a breastplate of righteousness, but a breastplate of faith and love. And then he says, and for a helmet, same thought, the hope of salvation. In other words, here the helmet is linked to our hope. It's not only given us salvation in the past and present, but he tells us here to put on or take up that helmet, which is, he defines it for us, the hope of salvation. And then look at the language there in 5.9. For God has not destined us for wrath. He's looking to the future. So you got this helmet on, which is the hope of future glory, the hope of heaven. And why? You're putting it on because he's not destined us for wrath, but look at the next phrase, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now you say, well, I've obtained salvation. Yes, if you've placed your faith in Christ, he saved you. You are now in, the, in working through the present reality and sanctification where you're being saved. So you've been saved, you're being delivered, if you will, but here is that thought, but to obtain salvation, as it says, what salvation? The future salvation, the hope of Christ in glory is the thought here. So here, interpreting scripture with scripture, the helmet deals with that third category, our hope. And our hope, beloved, for a statement to you, is our future full final salvation where the Bible says that you will be glorified. So the helmet then, just to put this in your heart, the helmet then is the assurance of your salvation. The helmet is the assurance of your eternal security. It's our future hope. So when you begin to put that together, Satan then, in this context, wields, if you will, a broadsword, okay? Why? To destroy the believer's assurance, the assurance of salvation. And he does that through this sword that has a double-edged effect to it, and he brings these blows of doubt. He brings these blows of discouragement or despair and here we are moving through our life he can't separate you from the love of God you know that but what he can do is cause you to lose that future hope so what is this hope biblically what is the hope of salvation well hope in the scripture is the confident expectation of heaven I said confident expectation because whenever you see biblical hope in the word of God, it is never uncertain. It is sure. It is certain, if you will. We say at times, I hope so, but there is no hope so in the Bible because it's certain. It's sure. 
When God declares something to you, it is a promise. It is built off the bedrock of a foundation of the character of God, the character of Christ. So then, the helmet protects you from discouragement. It protects you from doubt. It is your confidence provided for you regarding your future assurance of salvation. And I think he does this because at times we can become so overwhelmed in trial that we lose all sight of heaven, that place where there is no more tears, no more sorrow, no more pain, no more sin, no more death, or you feel like you just can't go on anymore. I just can't do it anymore. I'm just so discouraged. And then I marshaled all those scriptures, but I didn't finish. And so I want to take you to the book of Hebrews just for a moment, which is a commentary on the hope of believers beset with trials and discouraged. Would you look over there to the book of Peter, excuse me, the book of Hebrews, and I want to show you all the amazing places that speak of this hope, that address this aspect of our future salvation. And I want you to be able to take heart today. In Hebrews chapter 3 and in verse 6, it says, Christ is faithful. I love that. He's over God's house as a son, and we are his house. And then watch it. He says there, if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. So he's exhorting us there that Christ is faithful, but we need to hold fast our confidence and our boasting, not in ourself, but he says in our hope. So look at verse 12, and that's why I'm so glad that you're here today. Take care, brothers, 3.12, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But you know this next scripture in verse 13, but exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. In other words, sin is so deceitful that you can become hardened by it. You could lose your confidence in Christ. You could even lose your confidence in a church. Now, I'm preaching to the choir here, but I know people who just put their hands up, walked with Christ for many years, and then they just, they kind of cruise and coast, but their heart has become hardened their heart by the deceitfulness of sin. So look what he says over in Hebrews chapter 6. He, he's going to go through this and he tells us for that not to happen. And he says in, a, excuse me, did I say Ephesians? Hebrews 6.12. So he says there this. Um, he, well, go back to 11. And we desire each of you to show the same earnestness to have, here's that expression, the full assurance of hope until what? The end. So here's something of the helmet. 
You're putting it on and you need a full assurance of that great full and final hope all the way till the end. And then look at uh, Hebrews 6.12, so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those whose faith and patience, and underline this, inherit the promises. Inherits the promises that are coming in the future. Hope is crucial for us. And so you need to put that helmet on. You know, I would just say personally to you that one of the things that struck me in this text and uh, is all the emphasis that we put on past salvation, and I suppose rightfully so. That at one point you were in darkness and he put you into light. That at one point you were a son of, a son of disobedience and then you became a child of light. That at one point you were pursuing the course of this world and now you're learning Christ. Rightfully so. And I suppose that we get caught up in our sanctification as we battle against our own flesh. We battle against uh, the world in addition. And here we have to put up our armor against the evil one. But I would submit to you that I think that salvation is more pushed towards the promise more push towards our future. And I think that's because this is not our home. We're aliens. We're strangers, if you will. So he told us there that we need to not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Look at Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 17. He's talking there so that when God desired to show more convincing convincingly to the heirs of the promise, the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath, that would be himself, so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we, the believer who have fled for refuge, might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the what? The hope. You've got to hold fast to the hope. You cannot become discouraged. You cannot begin to doubt. You should not become sluggish. You need to be able to hold fast, as he said right there, to that future hope. In fact, if you will, go down to verse 19 now, where he said, in eight, yeah, 19, we have the sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. He spoke there of a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain. In other words, Christ, if you will, went into the holy of holies, offered himself once for all, not like a priest who would time and time again give a sacrifice. Here, we have an anchor of the soul. I love that. And a hope that comes uh, and enters into the temple, into the inner temple. What a great promise we have. And so we need to trust him and we need to look to him and we need to guarantee, see our guarantee that we have in him an anchor of the soul. Look over at Hebrews chapter 10. This hope is all over. And I think it's because these believers were suffering difficulty. And he was speaking about the full assurance of faith in Hebrews 10. And then in 1023, he says this, let us hold fast the confession 
And then he puts it this way, of our hope, future hope, for, he says, without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. In other words, it's built off his character that cannot lie. He has given us eternal life. He has given us assurance. He who saved you, he who is presently transforming you in sanctification will one day bring you to himself so that your hope, which is now future, will be realized. What a great thought there. In fact, um, Look on in 10.23 where it goes on there. Maybe it's 24. He says, let us consider then how to stir up one another to love and good deeds. And so we, we need that. You say, are there examples of this hope? Yes, let me take you to Hebrews 11, to the heroes. And I think you know some of these. I'll cite a couple, but in Hebrews chapter 11, you said, what, what made Moses Moses? Obviously, it was the grace of God. But here are the heroes of faith. And it says in Hebrews 11.23, by faith, Moses, what did he do? Well, when he was born, he was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. So it's the faith of his parents, but then by faith, Moses, verse 24, when he was, had grown up, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered, did Moses, the reproach of Christ, greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, and here it is. For he was looking to what? The reward. His gaze, his, his mind was fixed not in the here and now or why would he have ever given up all that stuff. But the point of the text is he gave it all up because he considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt and the fuel for him was right there is that he was looking for a reward. So listen, when you and I begin to set our faith and hope on the coming of Christ, these things will begin to pass as we see them as sometimes being right in front of us. Remember when John the Apostle said, you say, well, what, how does this practically change my life of this future hope? Well, John said, the Apostle in 1 John 3, 2 and 3, God, we are God's children now and, and what we will be, you like that phrase? Has not yet appeared. In other words, we've been saved. We're presently in the process of being sanctified. But he says there, it has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, speaking of course of the second coming, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. So here, this hope has a purifying effect. And I think when Paul gets to this piece, he says you, as the Roman soldier did, does in the midst of battle, to take up the helmet, which is salvation, because that hope of salvation is going to have a purifying and cleansing effect in your life. 
If you look over in chapter 11, you're still there. Sometimes we miss this one. It was about the women. And I think it's the cool, just a cool statement. Look at uh, Hebrews 11.35. Women received back their, their dead by resurrection. Of course, there's accounts in the Old Testament where children were restored to mothers. But then he goes on, look at it in 1135. Some were tortured, okay? The idea they were beaten. And in some accounts of uh, church history, we, we saw that women were tied to the rack and tortured. In fact, you say, why would they do that? Look at 1135. Refusing. <laughs> I love that. To accept release so that they might, here's the future hope, rise again to a better life. I love that phrase. Some of them got their dead back, Zarephath in the Old Testament. Some did, but others were tortured and they just said, no, 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 no. I don't want to be released so that they would rise again to a a better life. What is that? That's the hope of salvation. That's fixing your mind, my mind, your heart, my heart, not only in this life, but in that future final hope where you will go to heaven and that will be a place of no more night, no more sorrow, no more tears, no more pain, no more death. You will ever be in the presence of Jesus Christ. What a great statement there. So take up this helmet to protect your mind from the crushing blows of Satan's two-edged broadsword of discouragement and doubt regarding your future hope. Listen, I, I could put it just this way to you simply. One of his strategies of his many schemes is to discourage you. He, he can't take your salvation, but he could just mess with your joy. An unresolved relationship, maybe a hard marriage, possibly the death of a loved one in recent years, that he would, if he could, so discourage you to make you lose confidence in the love and care of your heavenly Father. But we know from the scripture that your eternal security is built off the bedrock of the promises of Christ, the power of God, and he can't do anything to strip you of that. So when he says take up the helmet, He's forcing you to look back to his promises, look to the character of God, not your own righteous deeds, not your feelings, but to go back and recognize what the scripture said about your eternal security. Now in Ephesians, he's already spoken a lot on that in Ephesians 1 through 3, but just for a moment, can I go with you to the gospel of John? Would you look there just for a moment? that I can take you to these statements of Christ to see if you actually have your helmet on. These are wonderful statements here in John, the whole gospel, but begin in John 3, of course, 
you're aware of 315. I mean, just the statement, we quote 316, rightfully so. But in 315, whoever, like any of you here this morning, whoever believes in him may have, what? Eternal life. In other words, he stated that. You could take that to the bank, if you will. It's a promise that if you believe in him and put your faith in him, you have eternal life. Look at 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever, here's a promise, believes in him should not perish but have, what? Eternal life. He promised to give eternal life to those who have trusted him. Look over at John 3.36, that's a great statement. Whoever believes in the Son, John said there, has eternal life. And then conversely, whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. But if your trust is in the Son, you have eternal life. And if you're walking in obedience to that as a continual path, here is the promise of eternal life. Look over at John 5 in verse 24. I think one of the greatest statements in all of the Bible. Jesus speaking there in 5 verse 24. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has what? Eternal life. This is a promise. This is a guarantee. In fact, look again at verse 24. He doesn't come into judgment. If you've placed your faith in Christ, you've passed, he says there, from death to life. What a grand promise. This is something of the helmet of salvation. You have it now and it's guaranteed in the future. Put that helmet on that as discouragement comes and trials come and the death blows come to seek to crack your mind and your thinking, you're holding on to the person of Christ. Look over at chapter 6 in verse 27. Do not labor, Jesus said in 627, for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, watch the language here, which the Son of Man will give to you. <laughs> your, your salvation, in a sovereign sense, was given to you by the Lord Jesus Christ. But that's not all. Look over at 6, chapter 6, in verse 37. I, I don't know if you look at your salvation this way. It's stunning in 637. All that the Father gives me will come to me. You say, well, wait a minute. The Father gives to me. Listen, your salvation is so secure you say, well, because I expressed faith. No, even faith is a gift. Your salvation is secure because in the mind and heart from God from all eternity, he chose you before the foundation of the world. Before he brought the world into existence, you were a love gift from God the Father to God the Son. Look at it again. I think you're probably thinking, wow, all that the Father, 
speaking of the elect, gives me, will come to me, and then he opens it there, and whoever comes to me, I will never, what? Cast out. You can't be cast out. Look at verse 38. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him, speaking of God the Father, who sent me. Jesus said that I should lose nothing of all that he has given to me, but raise it up on the last day. You can't be lost. The Father gave you to the Son. And the son secured your death. You are so secure that this is guaranteed if you've placed your faith in Christ. You are a love gift from the father to the son. And you say, well, what do you mean? Well, he'll lose nothing. He can't lose you. It's impossible. In fact, look at that promise again. At the end of 39, he's going to raise it up, what? On the last day. If Christ was raised, you're going to be raised. So at some point, when you become so discouraged and you don't know if you can continue on in this, you need to realize and recognize that he's going to raise you up on that last day. What a promise. Look at chapter 6 and verse 47, similar thought. Truly, truly, Jesus said in 647 of John, whoever believes has, what? Eternal life. You put your trust in him, here is the guarantee. We don't talk a lot about this. We talk about being saved, past tense, great justification. We, we know the battle of living out our sanctification and we're in the process of being delivered more and more. But listen, one day, you're going to experience that promise, eternal life. We've entered into that life now, John 17, 3. But the fullness is coming in the future. So I, I hope as you're here who have kids, you who have grandkids, I hope your grandchildren know this. I really believe as believers we need this. I really believe the coming generation is going to need it even more. They're going to need to understand the truth and the resources of the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at chapter 6 verse 51. There it is. Jesus said, I am the living bread that has come down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, which just means if anyone appropriates me, he, this is a promise, will live, what? Forever. And the bread which I give for this life uh, in the, of the world is my flesh. He would go to the cross. Here's a promise. He will live forever. This is why you cannot lose your salvation. This is why eternal security is eternal security. It is not insecurity. If you've placed your hope, oh, but, but, but pastor, I just keep having these thoughts come in and they, that may be the evil one. You say, but I just sometimes just can't live the life. I know, but praise God, Jesus did. So pastor, I've put my trust in Christ, but I just, I, I just battle and I think I get messed up in my mind. You may. And Satan's going to come after you with that Romphaea sword. And he can't kill you, but he can discourage you. He can bring doubt into your mind. And there is no sadder state of a believer who's a believer 
who doesn't have this kind of assurance. And I know that because I was one of those as a teenager. I mean, you just look at these statements is that he will live forever. In fact, go over to John. Here's another great promise. Maybe you should memorize these scriptures and not live off what you think. Live off the truth of God's word. John eleven twenty six. the great statement there that everyone who lives, in fact, you could back it up in eleven twenty five. Jesus said to her, I'm the resurrection of the life. Whoever believes in me, Though he die, yet he shall he, what? Live. If you die, you're going to live. And everyone who lives and believes in me, verse 26, shall never, what? Die. And then he says, do you believe this? Let me just say eternal life. You know this, but I'll just say it calmly. Is never extinguished. Never. He did not make a one-year contract with you. He did not make a two-year contract with you. When you put your hope and confidence in Christ, his work on the cross, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, he promises you eternal life. Everyone who lives John eleven twenty six and believes in me shall never die. Eternal life lasts forever. It doesn't have an expiration date. I came out to my wife's trunk yesterday, and it was probably some game with student ministries. She had about six big bags of flour. And I thought, what are you doing with those? She goes, well, those have been in the pantry for two or three years, and they have an expiration date on it. So she put them in the trunk to drive around in our alley and to throw them away in the trash. That's flour. That's fruit. That's canned goods. But salvation doesn't have an expiration date on it. In fact, would you go to John 10, just turn back, Look at these statements there because you know the father gave the son a love gift in you. But watch this in 1028 of John. I give them what? Eternal life. Now you might be thinking, well, I, I came to faith and you did and I did. But how could you lose what the father gave to the son. And when the son speaks in biblical language, he gives you eternal life. Look at 1028. And it says they will never, what? Perish. In in other words, and then he says in 1028, and no one will, what? Snatch them out of my hand. Here's that helmet. How can anyone snatch you out of his hand? The father gave the son a love gift that was you from all eternity. The son also now working within the Trinitarian concept of salvation gives you eternal life. You are so secure that no one can snatch you out of his hand. The hand is a symbol of power and certainly in the context that no thief can come in, no robber can come in, no false teacher, same context, could ever come in. Why? Because I give them eternal life and it says they will never, what? 
perish. So you have a positive, I give them eternal life. You have a negative there that they're never going to perish. And the negative is put this way in the language, they shall by no means ever perish. And so this is an absolute, unequivocal, unsaleable negative that you will never perish. So if those are the truths of scripture, then I would just encourage you, put that helmet on. Put that helmet on. Look at 1029. My father, he says it again in a unique way, who has given them to me. He says that. He says, I give them eternal life, but my father has given them to me is greater than all and no one can snatch them out of my, what? Father's hand. For you who are saved, you are again the Father's love gift to his Son. And the Father gave that love gift to his Son in eternity past for all eternity. So listen, beloved, God the Father protects what he in incomprehensible love has given to his Son. So I just say this, here's something of the helmet, here's something of the future hope that you cannot be unjustified. It's even hard for me to say because I think I made the word up. You can't be unjustified. You can't be justified, declared righteous, and then at a later time, unjustified. Because God the Father gave to you, to God the Son, God the Son died for you. And as you placed your faith in him, you can't be unjustified. You cannot become unredeemed. You cannot become unadopted. You cannot be, from Ephesians 1, unchosen. You cannot be saved and unsaved. In fact, look over just for a second at John 17. Let me just show you the scripture. This is something of the helmet, the hope of that future salvation. And of course, in John 17, he's in the great high priestly prayer. But watch the language in 17:2. Since you have given him, speaking of the son, authority over all flesh, look here, to give eternal life, To all whom you have given him. You say, but but pastor, I just, I know me. And you're looking at yourself. For every look you take to yourself, you ought to take 2,000 to the Savior. And this is what it says in 17.2. It says to give eternal life to all you have given to him. Look at 17 verse 6. I have manifested your name to the people. There it is again. Whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were. Jesus is praying. You gave them to me. And then here's that. Love that statement. And they have kept your word. So there's a continuing and a following. Look at 17.9 as he prays. He says, I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have what? Given me, they are yours. I mean, we talk a lot and absolutely true of the, lo- the son's love for you. But the father loves you. The father loved you before there was a mountain, before there was a sea, before there were fishes, before there was life. He he said that in Ephesians 1, I chose you before the foundation of the what? 
of the world and you might be sitting there. Well, why would he choose me? I've asked myself that a lot. Grew up in an unsaved home and I think we would respond and say it's all his grace, isn't it? It's all his grace that before you had done anything good, before you had done anything bad, the Father predetermined a love relationship with you for those you have given me. Look at 1724. Father, I desire that they also, here it is in 1724, whom you have given me, he says, may be with me where I am to see the glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. He certainly did. And so here, I just want you to know, God doesn't hand you off to one of the angels. He loses none. Our salvation rests in the Father's promise. It rests in Christ and his promise to keep us. So even though we're surrounded by enemies, by the flesh, by weaknesses, by the devil himself, there is no power, there is no person that can snatch you out of Christ's hand, that can snatch you out of the Father's hand, and I suppose I should put the Trinity in there, the Holy Spirit has sealed you unto the day of redemption. You were sealed at that moment when you came to Christ. He is the down payment. It's gonna take you all the way to the finished line. Listen, doesn't Paul say if God is for us, then who can, what, be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? In fact, remember the question, who shall bring a charge against God's elect? And the answer is, no one can. Why? Because it is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died more than that, who was raised, who's at the right hand of God interceding for us. So then that great stanza, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No, Paul says, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, listen to this promise, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things, isn't this good, to come, some of you might be legitimately fearful of the future, but listen, there's nothing in the future that can allow you to be taken out of his hand, praise God. So he's just going through every concept from every t angel, fallen angel, false teacher, to any kind of power, to any kind of height, to any kind of depth, nor anything in else, he says, else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord, amen? Don't you remember in John 14, you can probably say it from your heart, let not your hearts be, what? Troubled. Believe, he said, believe in God, believe also in me. Jesus said, in my Father's house are many rooms, and if it were not so, I would have told you uh, that I go and prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. 
Put that helmet on. You may need to put it on at the end of your life as much as at the beginning. Put it on. Because here's Satan with this big ramphaya that was held by big old handle. Man, they were, those cavalry men were splitting skulls and decapitating people. He can't do that to you. But he's going to do everything he can to make you fearful. He's going to cause you to put your trust on yourself and your flesh can do that. When Jude said it this way in 24, now to him, I love this phrase, who is what? Able. He's powerful to keep you from stumbling. Here's the future. To present you blameless before the presence of the glory with great joy. I love that little phrase, to keep you. It's a military term. So what does that mean? It means that God is standing at his post, standing guard over you to ensure your eternal safety and your eternal security. So I think Paul just says here, you got to just put your helmet on. Paul put it this way in 2 Corinthians 4 when he said, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. Why? Knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us up also with Jesus and bring us into his presence. Confidence of the future so we don't lose heart. Though the outer man is decaying or wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Listen, beloved, here's the point. Salvation already accomplished will one day be consummated as you stand in his presence as he gives you a new glorified body, as he wipes out completely the presence of sin and you will be ever worshiping him. That's a great hope. Don't get so caught up in the here and now. Don't get so caught up in things. Don't get caught up in stuff. Don't become so enamored with whatever that might be that could distract you because this is your future hope. And so maybe I say has Satan... I don't know why I wrote this in my notes. Maybe there's one or two in here. Has he tempted you to give up? That's the evil one. Has he tempted you to give up on the church? I meet a lot of people who just don't fellowship anymore. Listen, this is where the hope is going to be laid out. Don't give up on Christ. Don't give up on his change agent, the local church. Do you remember, you can quote this one with me, can't you? Surely goodness and mercy will follow me how long? All the days of my life. And then you remember the end, I will dwell in the house of the Lord. When? Forever. It's forever. It's forever. This is just momentary light affliction. Put that helmet on. Get that shield up and We'll look next week at the sword. I always laugh at that psalm, surely goodness and mercy, because I had a dear, I don't know if I told you this, there's a dear old believer at my previous church. His name was Hal Kemper. His wife was named Shirley. And I'd go out and work. I'd say, Hal, come over and help me on my yard. He just was amazing. 
in soils and all that stuff. And maybe I've told you about him. I'd be out there for two hours with him and no joke. He's probably in his 70s at this point. For two hours straight, he just quoted scripture to me. He's just quoted straight. I'm not exaggerating. Two hours. And, and then he got to one, that psalm. And he said, my wife will be chasing me around in heaven. And I said, well, no, no, no. We're not given to marriage. How? I'm trying to check with his theology. He goes, oh, yeah, it's in the book of Psalms. You have a, you have a psalm where your wife is following. And, and he said, yeah, this one. Surely, that was her name, goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. Listen, we've already won the battle, amen? We've already won the battle in Jesus Christ. He is the greatest example in Hebrews who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and he did it for the joy that was set before him. Listen, Put your eyes on him and uh, don't forget what he's done for you. Amen.